So searching for the meaning of life naturally then led to fashion. Yeah, girl. Welcome to We Can't Print This. It is a podcast telling the story you don't know behind the story you do know. I'm Fiona McCann. And I am Eden Dawn. And every week we interview a writer of some kind about the stories behind their stories. And please, if you like our podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Or you can support us yourself on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash we can print this. And this week we have sort of my teen idol on Vivian McInerney. Um, Vivian covered fashion for the Oregonian, including being our New York Fashion Week touchstone here from 1984 to 2015. Quite the career. Long time. And brings many of those stories from the runways to us today. And it was just such a treat. She also has quite the following on the Creators Network, Elo, where she regularly publishes new work in addition to her short stories, often published in literary magazines. And she wrote the adorable children's book, The Whole Whole Story, published through HarperCollins. She's been very busy. She's been very busy for quite some time. For a long time. It's true. Yeah, and Vivian was so fun to talk to because she's been in the industry so long. And it turns out there have been a lot of changes. A lot of changes. <laughs> and I feel like some of those changes lead to new jobs. You got hired because of new technology, right? Yes, I did. Because I was hired to work in one of the few newspapers in the world that was like, hey, guys, what if we put our newspaper on the World Wide Web. Wouldn't that be crazy? And they had this tiny little annex of an office where they were like, let's hire a bunch of young people <laughs> to put the newspaper on the World Wide Web. And it was so fun because honestly, I think like 99% of the newspaper were like, I don't even know what these people do. Amazing. Never mind. They're the online people. They're the <laughs> online people working on Al Gore's internet, as I like to call it. I mean, the great thing at that time, weirdly, was that nobody was paying any attention to what we were doing. So we used to like develop these little columns that would never have seen the light of day in the actual newspaper. Right, right, right. Oh, that's interesting. I also got hired because of new technology because I got headhunted for my job as fashion editor where I had been at a local paper. And um, they wanted to start a blog. Oh, one of those weblog thingies? One of those weblog thingies, because <laughs> for a minute, blogs were so hot. And they oh were a God. weird democratization because there were so many people getting, it was also kind of early rise of influencers when you think about it. There were all these people doing blogs that were getting these huge followings, like a bigger than printed traditional publications. And so then I feel like all of the magazines, everyone was like, we got to get a blog. I know. And meanwhile, I was back over in the actual newspaper. They were still getting faxes. They still had one of these huge big reference books where you got all your phone numbers from. Oh my God, and over it. on the internet side of things, we were all like, Google, babe, Google. No, ask Jeeves, babe. <laughs> oh, ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, you're right. It we turns ask out. Jeeves. Yeah, ask Jeeves actually didn't know that much. He did not know as much as Google. No offense, Jeeves. But I, f I feel like Wordlebot knows more than ask Jeeves <laughs> did. <That's> true. <laughs> but, the, but blogs were big for sure. And we all had to write blogs. I had to write an arts blog, and which won an award. 
Oh, yes, look actually, at you, fancy but pants. Back in the middle of the heyday of blogs, it was all like, everybody has to have a blog. And we had millions of blogs. And then suddenly it was like, blogs are dead. Forget about blogs. Blogs are dead. And then remember, it was like, pivot to video. Everybody do video now. Video is so big. And then in the time that we worked together, video was big. Video was done. Video was big. Video was done. And then now it's like TikTok, Instagram, Reels adjacent. Well, and social media has been a big game changer as well. I remember when they were like, okay, everybody needs to join Twitter. And that was really important. And then they were like, wait, we don't have company rules about Twitter. And all that had to be developed. And it was like, right. Yeah. Yes. I forgot about that. Everything has changed so much. And that's in, you know, just our few years. But think of when you think about Vivian span, how much more change and with the internet coming in the middle of that, which was truly the biggest game changer and will continue to be. And now we have AI and, and robots taking our jobs. I know. I mean, the best thing to remember, I think about being a journalist is just to know that no matter what you're doing, you will have to get ready for a big change somewhere, (laughs) somehow. That's true. And I want to take that back because when the robots rule us all, I want everything on the record to show that I was very, um, we love robots. We (laughs) love you robots. I was very always on your side. We were not against you. (laughs) I do always say please. And thank you to all forms of AI. Cause I just, I'm like, you know what? You're doing a job too. And manners matter. (laughs) And you never know who's going to have the power next. So you never know. You never know. Um, Yeah, everything has, I think that is really good advice for young journalists or old journalists. I'm not sure we lie somewhere, hopefully in between the two. (laughs) Yeah, but like mainly young, honestly, even though I'm going to now tell you about like all of these ancient rituals in the newspaper when When electricity was invented. (laughs) And they had like a physical spike where they were like, oh, we're going to have to spike that story. It meant they would like pull the story off and put it on a spike, which means that that story was killed. And they would have these like typesetting very carefully. And then you could go down in the, uh, on the ground floor of the newspaper building and just watch the printing presses roll overhead. It was so exciting. I love that. I remember Mr. Rogers episode where they were like showing everything on the printing press and how exciting that was. I didn't, I didn't get to see that, but I mean, I did love in the magazine world where you would print off, like I'd work on this beautiful fashion feature and then it would be printed up all big and, you know, out on the wall where everyone would debate the, does this one go before this one and move things around. And it was just a dreamy time that we were all in. And now... I mean, times have changed for sure. And sometimes we can be looking back and going, that was a dreamy time before we had to do newsletters or that was a dreamy time before I had to tweet everything. But there are some advantages to the modern journalistic methods, I think. And one of them is... We got our own podcast, <laughs> which I think in the in the olden days of journalism, we'd been like knocking, pressing our noses against the glass panes of radio stations going, can you let us in? I know we're a little flashy and stuff, but like we'd make a great show. But now we're like, we're just going to make our own. Just do it. Uh, I think that's a great segue for us to listen to Vivian tell us about all the days of your the Yori days. The Yori days. Ye olde journalism. Ye olde journalism and faxes. Fiona, we have a new sponsor on the show today. Yes, and we're totally chuffed because it's Betsy and Aya, which anyone who knows me knows I spend 99% of my life in their earrings, and I have three of their signature bridge-inspired cuffs, 
and it's all designed and made here in Portland. I have been writing about and wearing and obsessed with Betsy and I as ready-to-wear jewelry since they started in 2008, and now they also make gorgeous fine jewelry, including custom pieces, and Betsy actually designed the Leo Constellation wedding rings that my husband and I wear. Yes, and now you can support both our podcast and this rad family business by shopping with them through our special fancy link, which is betsyandaya.com forward slash we can't print this. I'm going to spell it for you. B-E-T-S-Y-A-N-D-I-Y-A.com forward slash we can't print this because you can probably spell that bit. Use that special URL to automatically get 11% off your order of ready to wear, but do not sleep on that fine jewelry either because it is good. Thank you for joining us, Vivian. Thank Thank you for having me. I get to monologue for one second because I am so excited that you are here because I don't know that people will understand that you, to me, are so famous. Uh, You are so famous to me. What a sad little life you have. (laughs) (laughs) So burned by our guests immediately. I mean, we've known each other for years now, but I think... What people don't understand is that in Oregon growing up as a fashion kid, which I was, that you were our gateway to fashion because this was pre-internet and Vivian off and on from now, as we discussed, 1984 to 2015, you were covering fashion week for us. You were writing fashion columns and that was all we had. And you were the person who would go to New York and live this glamorous life. It and looked glamorous it, from the outside. I mean, I mean it, this is the monster that you created <laughs> right in front I, of you. Take responsibility for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I do think people think of Fashion Week as really glamorous. And in fact, it's, it's just bedlam. It's, I, it's chaos. Bedlam. Once you've actually yeah. worked or covered fashion. Now I know, right? Yeah. Now, now I've been a journalist long enough to know that it, in fact, is not glamorous. And you're exhausted and you're there under deadline but you did a wonderful job of making kids like me growing up in the country and then reading in the Oregonian what was going on in the world because it was the only way we knew we didn't have the internet we didn't have blogs and Instagram and all this stuff where everyone now has immediate access to fashion instead we just waited with bated breath for Vivian McInerney (laughs) to come back and write in the Oregonian and tell us what was up I feel like I should have used this power for better things than what to wear you know no that's important it was it's very important so we wanted to have you on today to talk a little bit I mean obviously Fiona and I are both journalists and Fiona comes especially from newspaper journalism which has changed I don't know if you know it's changed a little bit in the last few years which is why specifically (laughs) yeah the paper part but I really want to talk about this time in your career that I'm so okay. enamored with. Yeah. And I will try to not be a sycophant. I will do my best. Fiona, no, go keep... ahead because it makes me feel really good. <laughs> Tell us the first fashion week you remember going to. Uh, I think the first ones I went to the first few years, they were just kind of all over New York City. So instead of centralized in the tents, as mm-hmm. they, I think a lot of people are familiar with that, they were just held, fashion shows were held at hotel ballrooms, showrooms, uh, restaurants, just kind of anywhere. And you, as a reporter, would have to prove that you're a reporter, buy a list of the fashion shows from a woman called uh, Eleanor Lambert, who started Fashion Press Week in 1943. 
Wow. And she was still doing it when I started in the 80s. So you would buy this list of where the shows were. And then if, I think you then had to ask permission to come. Okay. Ask for an invite, Like basically. get a, a media pass or whatever equivalent. Yeah, except that it was each one individually. So oh, it wow. was such a pain because you were literally with each show and there were, you know, maybe 75 shows. And you had to get a separate pass for each one? Yes. So I'm kind of glad for the internet now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was really, it was, it was difficult, but it was really exciting because... They would be things like, you know, in a hotel ballroom in the plaza was a common venue, which was a beautiful ballroom. And it sounds fun, but there would be maybe up to 900 press people at a fashion show in a ballroom. The show would end, and then these 900 people would be running outside to get a cab to the next show that was way downtown. You had to tear each other's eyes out it and was, stuff to get into those cabs. It was terrible. Except the people from like Vogue and that, they had limos waiting for them. Of. So, but the rest of, of us, it was, yeah, it was hard. It was tricky. Um, and plus, because I was brand new to New York, I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing. When wow. did you start noticing the difference of, because I, I also think now people are aware with it sort of culturally as this big, um, I mean, same thing with the Met Gala, which just happened as this like celebrity extravaganza, right. but it was, it was an industry event. Like Fashion Week was very much for journalists and buyers and not for famous people exactly it started out really like a glorified trade show Mm -hmm. and then they invited the press and but you know 1943 it had been a long many years of it being quiet and then I would say it actually was that first year that I went that I went to a Bob Mackey show, and Ugh. he was a designer. I know you've interviewed him, right? No, oh, I, thought you I did. haven't, but God, I would love to. Bob Mackey is just, you know who Bob Mackey is. Fiona, do you, do you not? It's okay. I have to check in with her because we have a cultural dissonance. Right. Like or maybe I'm just ignorant, but sometimes no. I pretend I know things. You know Cher. But I can't secretly you know, Google now. You know every amazing outfit Cher has worn. I do know Cher. Okay. Yay. That's he Bob Mackey. That's yeah. Bob Whoa. Mackey. When you think of Cher and sequins and hats and this, like, that's Bob Mackey. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so he is, in no surprise, a gay man who yes. is fabulous. Into, into sequins. Uh-huh. So the, and when he would have his shows, he was really frowned upon by New York fashion because he was Hollywood and he was glitzy. And they're not fun. Too gaudy for New York kind Way of thing. too gaudy. Yeah. But he was the first one who brought in celebrities because that's who he dressed. Mm-hmm. So one of the first shows I went to, Diana Ross was there. <gasps> and and I, as far as I was I concerned, heard of her. yeah, there was <laughs> no one bigger. She was somebody I grew up with. I mean, I really remember seeing her on TV when I was like eight years old and just her eyes were all glittering. She's stunning. She's stunning. So, and the, the New York press was really snotty about it. They, they actually wrote about like how Bob Mackie was going to ruin it with this celebrity stuff. <laughs> Little <laughs> did they God. know. And then by the nineties, when I went back, it was clearly, you know, every designer had celebrities front row. When you, I mean, as a writer back then, say in the 80s, you had to go, and I don't know, I'm trying to remember what people, do you had a recording device? Did you have like how, did you have a notebook? I just had a notebook. And then I had a a camera later, actually pretty early on. 
I had a camera. I didn't travel with a photographer because the photographers were just like this mass of people at the end of the runway. Yeah, that photo pit is overwhelming. Yeah, and the idea of trying to get somebody else in there, it was just, it was pretty impossible for a regional paper. But yeah. they would let the, you know, writers in, so... What were you turning around? What was the expectation? Like, how many words per show? What was this turnaround like? It was, uh, for the most part, was daily. Okay. And uh, they were short stories. This is embarrassing to admit, but I wrote in inches. So they were like 12-inch stories. And I can't quite remember what that translates to, but they're short. I think they were... Was it 12-inch column? Oh, single column at 12 inches. Yeah. Huh. So I think it was... Less than 800 words. Yeah, probably like something like five that. or six or something like yeah. that. That's amazing. So That's have, still quite a, no, a lot of words. I mean, it's... When you're going to shows nostalgia. all day and oh, yeah. then you're trying to... Synthesize all exactly. of that. Exactly. That was the key thing was uh, I often was trying to write about how it would relate to what people in Oregon would be interested in. Yeah. And people weren't waiting like... Well, except for Eden, apparently. Well, see, I think you did a marvelous <laughs> job of that because the thing about regional journalism, which we all in this room love and support so much, is it isn't just about reporting the facts, though if that is part of it, but I think it's also reporting the facts in a way that you know is important to your community of readers, right? Exactly. And that is exactly. a different thing because if you come back and you're like, here's the $20,000 Versace dress you should be wearing in Salem, Oregon not going to get very far but that's if you're exactly like here's it. the trends i saw you know and yeah. here's how to adopt them for rainy weather <laughs> here's how to adopt them for yeah uh, yeah at one point i remember because the shows were always months in advance so you would be in september looking at spring and mm-hmm. yeah. spring looking at fall so at, at one point i started writing about okay here's what you can throw out of your closet because probably no one's going to be wearing it next year, but hold on to this. Oh, that's really useful. I could still use that, to be honest. Yeah, (laughs) it was also a way to, you could get things on sale. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that was kind of fun. Tell us about the hierarchy between, because I imagine you spoke about a little bit of the snobbiness perhaps from the the New York reporters towards Bob Mackey. But tell me about, as the as a regional reporter from a especially at the time Oregon did not quite have the fashion no. capital that it does now although Nike in the 80s was definitely coming of age um did they treat you differently were you guys absolutely. in a separate tent I knew it absolutely not in a separate tent but we had a, a group of regional press writers who really bonded and it was a, a wonderful group of people and we called ourselves the fifth row because that, there were only like six or seven rows, and we were always way back there. Wow, who's um, in the seventh row? Yeah, turns. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and sometimes me. Sometimes me. But um, they were the the front row was always the celebrities and the celebrity journalists like Anna Winter yeah. and all the Vogue people, any magazine people. You've interviewed Anna. More than I once. Have, yes. I would say I interviewed her. I talked to her on the side of the runway more than once. And the first time I talked to her, you know, she has a reputation for being really cold and really mean. Yes. They called her Chilly Winter. That's her name. That's, it's an unfortunate surname, isn't it? When yeah. you think about it. I never told her that. I think it's kind of badass. Yeah. I think but, that's kind of a badass nickname. But the first time I, I 
talked to her. I introduced myself as I do. And she said, Vivian, my best friend growing up was named Vivian. And I thought that was such a sweet thing for her to say. It immediately makes you feel welcome. Yeah. Is your best friend Vivian? <laughs> no, but I just imagined her. And then I ground her to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Which unfortunately I, I read later she, she did. <gasps> and, and then another time, I, I spoke to her several times on the side of the runway. And she was always, you know, fine. And then one time I asked her a question and she did just completely frost me. And it was so intimidating. What did I, you ask? I think I asked something dumb, like a general question. And she did not like being an oracle. And that was not the way to talk to Anna. She wanted, if you had a specific, intelligent question, she was fine. She had no time for florals for spring yeah. groundbreaking <laughs> chilly winter mm. yeah it's not i think it was actually her her dad's nickname but it fit with her as well wow but, yeah i mean but, you still you, you can still be nice is all i'm saying yes you don't have to be rude she has been there now i i can't even i mean decades i don't know yeah. how long she has been yeah there. i don't either but 30 years, I would think, something yeah. like that. Well, we're going to yeah. have to get her on We Can't Print This. <laughs> no, she's Good not luck. coming now because we talked about chilly winter. <laughs> Just do not ask her, like, what's in style right now because she <laughs> she will ice you until you're frosted. That is quite a difficult question to answer. Yeah, and it's too vague. It it's is just too, too open. But it, but she was, she was wonderful other times. And uh, I talked to so many people on the side of the runway, and they're not quite interviews but you know we're you're talking before the show and everybody's in like in zoolander all on their runway yes sitting at the pristine white runway waiting for it and you would just run up to them and kneel down and say can i get a quote from you basically okay kneel down for you before and i did it because for the weirdest longest time nobody i know this sounds surreal but nobody was going down and talking to the celebrities They just were, I don't know if they thought they should respect their space or I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you're very polite. So it's not, I I, I mean, you went up politely. I did go up politely. it's journalism too, you know, sometimes you have to just. You have to be the person who just does it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, an early one that I did is I saw these three young girls standing by the side of the runway and they were wearing gold lame jackets and this was not a cool look this was maybe early 90s they were very noticeable and so I went up to them and said like are you in a band and the girl goes well we're not really in a band but we do sing and I said oh and I said and so that's why you're wearing the matching outfits and she said yeah my mom thought we should wear it so people would know we were in this group and I said that makes sense and uh I took her picture, and all three of the young women were gorgeous, but the one in the middle was just had something, a real aura. It was Beyonce. Beyonce, I knew it. Yeah, it was. It was Beyonce. <laughs> Fiona just looked like the sun came from behind a cloud and <sighs> shone upon her. And she was, I mean, they were really young. They, they did have a song up, but they were not well known yet. I, ha- I had to ask how to spell her name. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Have have we we yeah. don't know how to spell Beyonce then. So yeah. Tina Knowles had made all their little jackets. She and had put, dressed them up too. Isn't that so isn't that sweet. neat? Yeah, and yeah, she was pretty amazing. Another time, I was at a Tommy Hilfiger show, 
am waiting to check in. And the guy in front of me says, yeah, the guy's like, the guy with the clipboard is like, name. He goes, Conic. He goes, you're not on the list. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm on the list. He goes, what's your first name? He goes, Harry. Mm. And the guy goes, no, no, there's not Harry or Conic on the list. And I'm like, seriously? You're like, I, I think I know who he is. Add the junior, will that help? And so uh, Harry Connick Jr. was so humble. He just kind of nods and, and walks away like, okay, I guess I'm not going to the fashion show. And I walked over to him and said, hey, you know, this is the press table. That's why you're not on the list. You should just go directly backstage. And so he goes, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, let me take you. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Vivian. So I did. I just took him to the entrance of the backstage. I didn't try to push it. Took him to the entrance <laughs> of the backstage. That's Ian's so doing funny. very serious air quotes right now. Very serious. That sounded so dirty when you said it. I told you I grew up in religious school, which means we can make anything sound dirty if you try. Oh hard my enough. God, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I wouldn't but, be. He's, that's a oh, handsome he's fairly easy on the eyes. He's so, and he was at the, kind of the height of his fame. I think he was even on Will and Grace then. Oh, anyway, yeah, he was Grace's husband. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, and he was such a sweet man. So when later when he was sitting out in the in the you know audience, and I went and talked to him, and he was very sweet. So I have high regards for him. Um, Tommy owes you a debt of gratitude because he would have yes. been absolutely so mortified I, to have had him turned away from his show. And his people were so rude. So rude. But also, I kind of loved that Harry Connick Jr. was like, okay, then. I, I know. I'm not on the list. And Good wasn't going to make Harry. a big big scene about it. Yeah. What uh, yeah. a nice man. Did you always have an interest in fashion and then the journalism came next or were you a journalist who, and then the fashion came next? Like, how does that? Yeah, I have the very typical way of becoming a journalist, a fashion journalist. I went to a school for eight years wearing a uniform, so knew nothing about fashion. Except uh, there's things you can do with a uniform, turns out. Yes, yeah. roll it. For Trick one it thing. out. <laughs> uh, and then I went to the Hunger Games that is public school. Mm. And then I just went fashion bananas, just like would follow trends. And then I guess like every high schooler now, I went through... Uh, Minneapolis rags where I grew up there was a secondhand store and Minneapolis rags you would buy everything by the pound so I would go down there with my boyfriend and we would just load up on I was really into beaded sweaters like 1940s jet mm, bead yes. sweaters and uh black crepe dresses with shoulder pads I, I must have looked ridiculous in high school but that was my introduction to fashion and then after I went through a really, I can make fun of it now, but seriously bad existential crisis. All I knew is I wanted to see the world. So I saved up every penny I earned at the mall. And I went to uh, Europe first. And then I met a boy. And uh, we ended up traveling through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, uh, and I was in Nepal for a little over a year. So searching for the meaning of life naturally then led to fashion. 
fashion that's the answer that's, that's clearly it. the answer yeah. yep almost yeah. the identical story of how i led to fashion <laughs> it is funny though i think there is something to that when you're really seeking meaning and then first of all there is meaning in clothes of course absolutely they're major signifiers of meaning to be honest exactly the way we choose to express ourselves to the world it's why i don't like any parameters on how we tell kids they should dress i mean because you grew up with uniforms i grew up with the dress code and it felt very stifling yeah um and and it's uh, fashion can be so fun so expressive and the thing i think that a lot of people think fashion writers have this one idea of what is good fashion and i think it's much more that we love the creative expression of whatever it is so i can absolutely love somebody who dresses in a a way that i would never feel comfortable dressing in but yeah it's i agree with you so much i mean i do have a fashion degree so there were there were technical things where i could look at something and be like babe that's patterned quite badly. Like <laughs> that just doesn't yeah. fit well. But for the most part, it was, is there passion behind this? Is there story? Is yes. there good color here? There's so many things to it. That that was one of the things that got me to realize what, while I was covering fashion, I think there was a part of me that still sort of thought it was beneath me. You know, I was a writer. This is frivolous. Yes. Sort of thing. Yeah. I wanted to write meaningful stories. And I You know, I did do a few of those in addition to fashion, but every break I ever got was writing fashion. But there was this one time when I talked to people about a favorite piece of clothing or something that they've just held on to for years. I loved that recurring piece you would do. It was so much fun. And one of them, there was this woman who said, oh, I have this green suede jacket. And it, you know, it wasn't really that fashionable then but she would wear it and it was her grandmother and grandfather during the depression they would go window shopping because no one had money and they'd walked by this green suede jacket and admired it and then Christmas comes or an anniversary or something and the husband presents his wife with this green suede jacket but she has cut off her arms. I've read this. It's an <laughs> O'Henry story. <laughs> it's so almost like that. It turned out he had sold his blood <gasps> to buy her the jacket. Isn't wow. That, I mean, that's meaningful. It's so meaningful. And that just really uh-huh. stuck with me. Uh, and just how much we imbue clothing and articles of fashion with meaning oh, i love that that sounds amazing i know because it is such a thing i think up for jewelry i wear all the time i feel like i have so many relatives with me and yeah. you know, it's it's a nice way yeah. to keep things um on your body like i said it's it's an expression that we have it's an outward expression from an inward feeling and i love that about fashion so you got into journalism and your sort of first main job was the Oregonian, is that right? Kind of. I did not go to J school, which was pretty much a requisite at the time everybody was going to J school. But I had this unusual experience of having spent about three and a half years overseas, um, half that time in Asia. And uh, so that kind of helped maybe more with my confidence than anything. When we came to Portland, I started uh, taking writing classes and uh, at PCC and the community college. 
while I was still taking classes, they told the students of this opportunity of a alternative paper. That's what they were called then before zines even, alternative newspaper, um, was looking for someone to write stories. And I was like, too, I didn't have the confidence yet. But my husband, who has oodles of confidence, he went and he wrote a story. And then he said, you can do this. So the editor was looking for someone to write a fashion story. And they, th this was the early 80s. And it was really that sexist then that it was like a fashion story. We better ask a cute girl. Yeah. So they asked me to do this story. And I told them, I know nothing about fashion. I really, really know nothing. And they kept saying, well, well you know, what, where do you shop? And I said, I, I only go to like Goodwill. And, and they said, that's it. Do that story. So that I was my the first way, one. You know, your husband was probably like going in saying, I know everything about whatever subject you need. And you're like, I know nothing about fashion. To yeah. people who know less than you about fashion, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, you well, don't, you just true. don't have that. You constantly underselling yourself. I, oh, it's. It's still, it's just, yeah, I wish I had confidence. It's a good rule for women, I think, particularly in journalism, where there still is so much sexism. And yeah. I feel like as fashion editors, well, and you covered so much arts and culture, anything that's under the lifestyle umbrella, I feel like we had to deal with a lot of snobbiness, right? Yes. Because we are not doing real journalism. Mm -hmm. We're right. doing lifestyle journalism. And it's like, it's all the same. Yeah. It's reporting, it's finding sources. It's Hopefully factual. Yes. You know? Hopefully yeah. factual. Well, it's the aspiration, indeed. <laughs> yes. and, and with fashion, there's the added thing of you're dealing with the photos. Because yeah. as a journalist, typical journalist, they fill out a form and a photographer shows up and takes the picture. So uh, when I sort of pointed out to an editor, it's like, no, I, I kind of arrange these photos. And they were like, well, we all do that. We all fill out forms. It was like, no, no. Like they didn't We're setting get, up photo shoots. Yeah, we were setting up photo shoots. So there I was doing these weekly stories and also hiring models, makeup artists when we could afford it. I was picking up the clothes, uh, deciding what the whole look would look like, where it yep. should be shot. I was doing all of it. Stylist and producer. Yeah. That's why and we're very good at events now, I feel like. I'm yeah, on events. I hate doing it now. So you were in journalism or in sort of the newspaper business at, from the 80s through to 2010. Is that what we said? Yeah. So you must have witnessed, I mean, the changes within the industry at that time oh, were kind of phenomenal. Embarrassing to admit. When I first walked in to the Oregonian, we used typewriters. Yes. They were electric typewriters because we were fancy and modern, <laughs> but they were typewriters. And then I, I think within six months, we all had computers. But that first time, it was like only the copy desk would have computers. So you would write your story, then you would have to go and rewrite it in a borrowed computer. So six months later, I had a computer. And then when I came back after my long leave of absence. The internet was brand new. It was so new that we had to have a reporter who was a science tech reporter kind of explain what it was. What was the biggest change then, if you remember from that first fashion show, reporting that first one in the mm. 80s to the last one you said you went was 2015? Uh, I think the biggest difference, I would say, is just the awareness of it, of the public awareness of Hoopla. what Fashion Week was. And in the beginning, no one cared. No one 
understood what it was or why it mattered. And in the end, it was just a celebrity nut scene, you know, and there were people who were there only to see celebrities. And uh, so it it became uh, almost too aware of itself. Mm. Uh, So it was less about the fashion and more about the idea of fashion. So, and I, I did have this one moment, Paris Hilton, who was at every show from the beginning, and she would always sit front row, and then she would be on her phone like, I'm front row, but I'm too busy to speak with you. And one time, it was right before she went to jail, and she was coming out from backstage, being led by the hand, by a handler and he was leading her by the hand and she was taking his little baby steps behind him and looking down very shyly like a five-year-old child and and she was holding her little dog and it was like oh I the whole energy was I don't want to be here oh and then she goes and sits front row Hmm. where the lights are brightest and I just thought this has gotten nuts so then Apart from Fashion Week in itself, what were the biggest, you know, you've obviously witnessed a lot of changes within the journalism industry as well. And, you know, what were the, are there sort of marked moments, obviously, when we went from typewriter, which is sort of, I mean, you think about it now, like you couldn't cut and paste on a typewriter. How would, and like research, I'm, how do you research stories without the That was the hardest thing that when you did want to, an expert on something, you would have to try to, you know, there was a giant book, reference book, and you would go to this reference book and think, okay, I want to write a story about fur. (laughs) And then you would look through and find like the American Fur Association and make a phone call. I feel bad about the level I have complained about trying to find sources now in my life, since I always had the internet to do it. Well, and (laughs) when... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say when the internet came in and when social media became a big deal, that was another thing that the newsroom changed around where they had brought somebody in to teach us how to use social media to make contacts. We were really early, early Facebook, early Twitter, and how to use it for journalism. And in the beginning, it worked really well because you could reach out to somebody and get a response. Now, it, it wouldn't work at all. Yeah. You know, the no. person you were trying to reach would now have 5 million followers and Flash so, in the pan. Yeah. Yeah. But, and also Elon Musk owns it now. This oh, whole podcast oh. is about what happens when certain people take over certain things. I Donald know, Trump and Elon Musk. <laughs> How did we get here? Oh, <laughs> oh, I have a Donald Trump story. Can I tell that? Dish it. Donald Trump I saw on the side of the runway many times. And I had talked to him a few times. But I will say that I spent the whole time talking to him, staring at his hair, <laughs> trying to figure out how the comb over worked because it was what every journalist wanted to explain it. And all I could come up with, it was like the Celtic knot of comb overs. It was very complicated and could not be deciphered. I think we should probably wrap up here. Fiona, I don't know you well, but I do think we're related. We probably are. I know. I swear you look like some of my cousins a lot. I think that that's very We likely. just found out these two Irish gals are likely re- related. And mm-hmm. that Seems- will be so great. We can make a whole mini series podcast about you two. 
Um, thank you so, so, so much for coming um, and for joining us today. For all our listeners, Vivian is on Twitter at Vivian Mac. And so is her Instagram. Is that right? At Vivian Mac, both of them? Uh, yes. Great. Yes. Uh, that's it from We Can Print This for today. You can see more info about this episode, including transcripts and links to things we talked about at WeCanPrintThis.com. And check out our Instagram stories at We Can Print This for all the visuals too. And of course, we're on Twitter still hanging in there at We Can Print This. And Instagram, where hopefully we can put up some pictures maybe from some of your old stories. If oh, you that have would anything, be fun. I think that I would be really something. fun for us to share some stuff. Um, and a reminder for everyone that we are not backed by anyone. We are just independent journalists uh, talking about writing and letting you know about it because we love it and we think you will too. So you can support our work and the podcast, one, by just sharing it. Send this to a friend you think might like it. That's a huge help. Or you could become a monthly supporter on Patreon at We Can't Print This. Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. This podcast was recorded at the Writer's Block in downtown Portland. And a big old thanks to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie, for how she wears her baseball cap backwards, where she looks uh, like a little youngster in a movie about baseball. I love when she does that. <laughs> That's true. We could have a whole episode on Rachel's fashion choices. Just actually, like a cute fairness. little fella. She wears her little baseball cap backwards <laughs> like she's, she's ready to go to t-ball. Also, if you are a writer with a great behind-the-story story, please let us know. You can write to us at wecantprintthis at gmail.com or you can write on your typewriter and put it in an envelope. and Get a stamp. Get a stamp and then open it and retype it and send it to the email. <laughs> great job. <laughs>